You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. I believe there's something coming that we need to be ready for. I believe every generation is given certain pop quizzes. I was talking to a vet med student a couple weeks ago who was talking about his experience in one of his classes where he has to be in a lab and then the, the instructor comes around and uh, you have no idea what they're going to ask you or how they're going to quiz you, but in that moment you just have to be ready. Um, it's called a pop quiz. You probably have traumatic experiences from remembering pop quizzes, but, but pop quizzes are meant to reveal the substance of your knowledge of what is, what's truly there, what's embodied in who you are, and, and those pop quizzes bring it, bring it to the surface, you know? Um, the good, the bad, the ugly. And every generation, I believe, is entrusted with certain pop quizzes. And, and I believe that there is coming a pop quiz for our generation. There is something coming that we need to be ready for. I believe we've experienced shakings in the past. You know, the, the, the COVID pandemic was, was, a, was a shaking. The, the racial division in 2020 was, was a certain shaking. But um, I do believe those were small in comparison to what is coming. And I believe the Lord is giving us a warning of preparation. Um, so I'm not predicting, I'm warning. And there's, there's a difference. There is a Christian call in the New Testament throughout, and I'm gonna unpack a lot of it this morning, for us to be ones who are found ready. To not, to not be caught sleeping, to not be caught apathetic to the urgency of this new covenant age. And so uh, this is a warning. There is greater chaos coming all around us. Um, God is calling his church to be immovable in the midst of the chaos. Uh, I believe there's greater confusion coming. There's greater anxiety coming in the world and specifically in our nation. But God is calling us to be a city on a hill. God is calling us to be different. And so the Lord's answer in moments of great confusion and great chaos is a, a revived church. It is a vibrant, living, burning church in love with the Lord. That's the answer. Um, because the church holds, holds the answer, Christ himself at the center of who they are as a community. And so I believe there are days of greater confusion coming, but I'm not a, I'm not a, um, I'm not a doomsday naysayer about, the, um, about what is to come. I believe there'll be greater confusion and greater chaos, but greater vibrancy in the church. There may be fewer that are truly amongst the, those remnant, but amongst them is gonna be, they're gonna be a fiery remnant. They're going to be a, a people um, that are tested through the fire, purified, and shown to be of worth for the Lord's glory. And so, um, this is, these are things that I feel like the Lord has been speaking to my heart and I've been wrestling with the Lord as to when to share these things. Um, and in fact, I was going to put off sharing this for a few weeks, but I really felt an urgency for this weekend. Um, and so I believe there's, there's confusion coming, chaos coming, and in those moments of confusion and chaos, simplicity will shine forth with all the more brilliance. Simplicity. You see, when things are comfortable, we take, thing, we, we take the simple things of life for granted. Um, when things get tough, what really matters is the simple things. What really matters is just the bare bones necessities. And within the Christian life, we should be people of simplicity. 
that we understand the bare bones, the meat and potatoes of the gospel, and that becomes our diet. And all the extra stuff, all the peripheral stuff kind of dies, and what, what we become is a meat and potatoes we become a bare bones, simple people devoted to the Lord. This is, this is why I believe the Lord has been preparing us with this house of prayer, this um, really centering around being a house of prayer. Not just the two hour prayer sessions, Tuesdays and Thursdays, but our identity, our corporate identity as a church family of a house of prayer. I mean, as Christ came and he cleared the temple, what did he declare over his house? That we would be a house of prayer, right? Not a house with inflatables and phenomenal events and, and the laser light shows and, and fog machines. No, he said we will be a house of prayer. But so often in apathy, we allow that to go in one ear and out the other. And we say, oh, we'll leave that to the, the, the really spiritual people. But instead, we'll give ourselves to this fluff and, and all this, this superficial stuff rather than saying, you know, I don't know how to pray as I ought. I'm going to get on my knees before the Lord and learn the ways that he says are the descriptor of his people in these days. That we're going to be a house of prayer. So let's figure it out. Don't know what that means. I don't know what it means to devote ourselves corporately to be a house of prayer. I'm going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. And that's what we're doing. And so I believe the Lord is aligning all these things. So there's three words I want you to write down this morning. There's three words. I want you to write this down. This is a warning. These three words are watching, waiting, ready. Write them down. I'm telling you, write it down. Watching, waiting, ready. Those are the three words. We're going to be a people found watching. We're going to be a people found waiting. And we are going to be found ready. So I want to unpack this. Look at Matthew 26. Let me pray before we read God's word. Lord, give me strength this morning to just be faithful to your word. Just give me strength, God. Give me an instructed word or an instructed tongue to bring a word that sustains the weary, that calls us as a church family into alignment with your will and your purposes. We're gonna take responsibility this morning, and this is my declaration, my confident declaration before my church family that we're gonna take responsibility for what's right in front of us. We're not gonna be comparing ourselves to another church or pointing fingers, we're gonna say, as for our house, we are gonna heed the word of God. As for this house, for this church family, we're gonna be faithful. And God, when you warn us, when you prompt us, when you prod us, when you poke us to wake up, we want to, we want to respond. We want to be found wide awake with eyes wide open attentive to your ways, learning your ways, and found ready. That's our prayer. Do it this morning. Do what only you can do by your spirit in your mighty name, amen. So this is Jesus on the night of his betrayal, on the night of his arrest, with his disciples. So like the, the pinnacle of his earthly mission is, is reaching its heights. 
here, you can picture him at the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples there on the, the, the slopes facing western, uh, westward towards Jerusalem, east of Jerusalem. There he is, he's in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples and this is, this is him really in travailing prayer over what is about to take place and he's looking for ones that will stand with him, ones that will be with him, ready to usher in the Lord's purposes. And this is what he says in verse 40. He came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. That you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. Two words Jesus ties together inseparably. To pray with our eyes wide open. It's not a sleepy prayer, it's not an apathetic prayer being thrown up. It's a watchful, alert praying of faith, attentive. But I want you to take note here. Jesus is in the presence of all of his disciples. But who is he addressing? He's actually addressing Peter. He looks to Peter. He says, could you not watch with me one hour? He makes it very personal, even though really the call is to all of them. And, and I believe the Lord is pinpointing us this, this morning. That's why in this bringing this warning to us as a church family, I try not to look to what is everyone else saying around the nation? What is everyone else saying around the world? No, God, I want to heed the warning that you give us. I want us to be responsible for, for our little plot of ground here in Ames, Iowa. Our little plot here in, in, in no named Iowa that God would, would um, wake up his church here and look at us and say, can you not wait with me one hour? Can you not watch and pray? Would you be a people that would open up their eyes and actually take me at my word and and pray with me, be with me, so that you will not enter into temptation. Because here there was, there was a great shaking happening. And in fact, in a few moments, this prayer gathering would be interrupted by the, the great betrayal of Christ himself with, this, with, a, a Roman, um, with the Romans, Roman troops coming to disrupt the prayer meeting. A great shaking was coming. So I don't know the, the particulars of the shaking that's coming, but I believe there is a shaking coming and the Lord is calling us to watch and pray, to be watchful. So what does it mean for us to be watchful? Like why would Jesus tie those two words together? The, the Greek word means most literally to be alert. Be alert and pray. And obviously the, the disciples didn't fully understand it, but I would propose that we often don't understand it either. So it, it'd be prudent for us to say, God, what do you mean by watching and praying? How do we, how do we pray with an alertness and a tuneness? With, how, how can we stay awake so we're ready for what you're going to do so we're prepared people? So I do believe we're living in days where even people that call themselves believers will be found sleeping. But I take great courage and, I, and encouragement with the reality that there will be some that will be awake. 
It's like what Paul spoke to the church in Ephesus. He says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, so the light of Christ may shine upon you. And he goes on in that passage. I just want to read it to you. This is not going to be on the screen, but. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. And he goes on to give very practical instruction on living watchfully. So this whole idea that Jesus is calling his disciples to is not a one-off reality. This is the way of life now for us as, as followers of Jesus, for us to live watchfully, for us to live alert, not paranoid, not afraid, but alert, watchful, attuned, discerning. So th this is a repeated theme throughout scripture. So to watch means to pray with vision, to, to pray with a spiritual vision, with our spiritual eyes wide open. It's like what Paul prayed over the church in Ephesus. Is he prayed continually, without ceasing. Not that they would have great programs, that they'd, they'd do really well in their building program. No, what was his prayer for them? That the eyes of their heart would be enlightened to know the hope that they have in Christ. The, the, the same power that, that raised Christ from the dead, that they would understand that that power resides in them. That's what his prayer for them was, is that they would have spiritual vision. So what Jesus was contending for in his disciples was a life of spiritual vision, of spiritual alertness, like such vibrancy to our life because we know what we've been entrusted with in Christ. He repeats a similar prayer in Ephesians chapter three. He repeats a similar prayer in the first chapter of Colossians. He says, my prayer for you, without ceasing, you believers in Colossians, my prayer is that you'd, you'd grow in your knowledge of the will of God. That, you'd, that would be something you'd grow in maturity and understanding and discerning the will of God for your life. It's something that Jesus himself repeated later. These are letters in red in Revelation chapter three. Check it out, the, the letter to uh, the church in Laodicea. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. For what? So that you can buy salve to anoint your eyes. You think you see rightly, but you don't. You're blind, he says. Those are Jesus' words. So Jesus is calling us to wake up. He's waking up a sleeping church. You see, we can't, we can't change others. We don't have to be critics of the church at large. We need to take responsibility of our house. We can choose to respond. We can say, I'm gonna buy from you this gold or fine in the fire. I want my, my eyes to be anointed. I'm not seeing rightly. And the Lord, I believe, is asking us this urgent question. Would you not watch with me one hour? So first, is watching. We need to be watchful. We need to have our eyes open. We need to begin to learn to be alert people that are discerning and have spiritual vision. 
We need to begin to resign ourselves to the lens of God's word to guide us, to actually uh, inform our value system for the world. You see, watchful people begin to embrace a kingdom paradigm that sees things through the lens of eternity. Watchful people begin to discern between the world and the kingdom. Watchful people begin to recognize between lies and truth. Watchful people begin to make, or they, they stop making excuses and they give less and less space to apathy. These are these watchful people who won't be everybody. In fact, part of what the Lord, I believe, was showing me about the days to come is that many will be caught off guard. I had very specific visions of specifically our church because this is a call for us. This is a warning for us. And I found that we were ready. That doesn't mean perfect, but a spirit of humility had descended upon this church that we were a simple people, we were a humble people, we were found ready in the days of shaking, but many will be caught off guard, many will be found not ready. And so our role is to be a place of spiritual vision where the simplicity of Jesus truly is enough because that will be the answer in the days to come. It already is the answer, but our affluence and our, our materialism clouds our ability to discern that. And so I believe the Lord is calling us to truly be this immovable vision of Christ and a city on a hill in the midst of chaos. Like I said, I believe the Lord has been calling us to, to learn the, the ways of prayer through house of prayer because prayer is meant to be a place of encountering truth as a person. So it's meant to be a place where we come and receive vision of the Lord, vision from the Lord, vision of the kingdom of God that actually means something for our life Monday through Saturday. So I would encourage you, if you want to be watchful, if you want to heed this warning, begin to find, your place, find yourself on your knees before the Lord with the word of God open. And say, God, inform my vision. I want to begin to see your, your kingdom I want to begin to see your ways. I want them to be elevated above entertainment and elevated above this world. I want to begin to see with a lens of eternity. I, I challenge you to do that. Find yourself on your knees before the Lord with the word of God open, and he will be faithful. Quickly turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and then we'll get to the second word, which is waiting. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Watching is just a way of Christianity. And so I actually feel like it's God's kindness to give us warnings like this, to give us these pop quizzes. Because we slough off urgency, we do. It's human nature to slough it off, to say, the, 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 uh, the need to know these things or the need to really put our roots down into these things, I'll have more time, I'll have more time. Then the pop quiz comes and we're found, we're found lacking, we're found unprepared. But this truly is the way of Christianity. This is just the way of following Jesus, to be found watchful and alert and wide awake. Verse six, and he's specifically talking about the return of Christ here. 
So like we're in the midst of this biblical story, this like the, Christ, the Christian story is not just history, we're, it's unfolding before us. So all the more we should be on the edge of our seats constantly just watching for the Lord, watching for his work on the earth amongst us. He says this, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, they sleep at night, and those who get drunk, they're drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, for a helmet, the hope of salvation, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is the way of life, is that we would spur each other on, encourage each other in this, challenge each other to stay awake, to be sober, to be found watchful, ready for the Lord, which then leads us to the second word, which is waiting. So we're gonna be found watching, but second, we're gonna be found waiting. And I've said it for a number of years now that waiting on God is the secret weapon of the church. A Jesus church is a waiting church. Waiting on the Lord is depending on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is not passive. Waiting on the Lord is a posture of our hearts. It's a declaration of our hearts that we live and move and have our being only by the Lord. That it's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. That is the, that is the lifestyle of waiting on the Lord. It's only by God. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. I told you we'd be kind of all over the place, but Luke 18, Jesus gives us this parable of the kingdom. And you should take note of this, that a majority of Jesus' parables about what the kingdom of God is like is this sort of warning. It's this sort of warning of live prepared, live ready, live watchfully, live as stewards. The pop quizzes are coming. Don't take for granted the, the, the delay of the Lord. And so here's another one in Luke chapter 18. I gotta get there first. It's a parable of this just tenacious widow. This destitute widow has, who has nothing. We're not, sur- we're not uh, sure of what the situation is, but here she is before this unjust judge really a wicked judge who has no care for people and no care for justice. It's, like it, it's in his name. Justice is like part of, it's the root of his title. But he has no regard for justice. And so here she is at the mercy of this unjust, wicked judge and she, she just continues to pester him and pester him and pester him and pester him until finally here he relents. He finally gives in Verse six, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Sorry, verse five says, yeah, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what this unrighteous judge says, this wicked judge. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So here it is again, another parable 
about a people who should be found in this realm of faith, in this realm of waiting, depending on the promises and the purposes of God above anything else, uh, despite what seems to be a delay. And so, obviously, we know God is not like this unjust judge. We know that he is a good judge. He's, he, he exalts justice. This entire universe is built on a, on a fabric of justice, of, of um, consequences, of cause and effect, consequences for our actions. It's all built on, a, on the, uh, the balances of justice. So we know the Lord is good and he's just. And so if this unjust, give, unjust judge gives, gives in to her pleading, how much more will our just father give us our request as we cry out to him here, he says, day and night. He gives us a description of these people that will be called the kingdom of God, a people of the kingdom, who are unrelenting in relying on the Lord, waiting on the Lord, actually receiving the Lord's promises and stewarding them with such humility and such faith, such tenacity like this widow, that they actually believe the Lord's going to bring the breakthrough, that he's gonna bring the answer, that he's going to fulfill his promises. And so I believe here is just kind of this, what looks to be an oxymoron of the kingdom. He says, will he delay long over them? Well, the whole moral of the story is that yes, there will be a seeming delay. In the flesh, in the natural, there will be a delay. What's the next thing that he says? But I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And that is the consistent, repeated theme in the New Testament, is that there is a delay, what, what seems to be a delay, which I believe is part of the testing, it's part of the, the sifting, it's part of the purifying of our faith. But then the answer comes, and it's like a thief in the night. It's like a, it's, it's sudden. It will be without question. There won't be any, there won't be any, him and Han about whether or not it's come. No, he has come. And that's what I believe is coming. I'm not saying Christ's return. So again, I said this is not prediction. This is not prediction. This is warning. This is warning for us to be found waiting, waiting for the Lord. People hate waiting because we, we live in a world of we're going we're gonna to take responsibility for what's right in front of us and, and be people of action. But as people of the kingdom, we are called to depend on the strength of the Lord. To be in a place of continual encounter with the Lord and his strength and his refueling. For him to fuel us with faith. So I'm saying we need to learn to wait on the Lord now. Because when crisis comes, we'll not be willing to wait. We won't. Especially in this information age when everyone's going to be telling us what the right answers are. Waiting on the Lord won't seem to be the right answer, but we, we in that time, will be in this place, this, this secret place of strength and refuge and fortress where the Lord will be supplying his people with what's needed for the hour. So our posture is waiting on the Lord. He is our hope. He's our only answer. He's the answer to the chaos. You can think of this Christian life similar to like what a, a human pregnancy would be like. Pregnancy is this, this long waiting period, nine months, and for some, I know it feels longer than others, 
in these moments is just waiting and waiting and waiting. We have a couple now on our staff, a few on our staff that are in those final moments of pregnancy where it just feels like it's taking forever. The Christian life is like that because we've been given this, this book of promises and this, the, the actual like picture of what is to come in the days to come, of where this whole story is headed. And sometimes it can feel like it's just taking forever. Like, what, what is going on? Why is there such a delay? Why is this, you know, why, why is this taking so long, Lord? Why the delay? And we can, we can actually begin to fall, fall prey to the kind of the whispers and the lies that the Lord is slow. That maybe he, he's gone to sleep. Maybe he's, maybe he can't be trusted. Maybe, maybe there's something, maybe we missed something. Maybe we're, we're not reading it rightly. So how do we wait on the Lord? How do we grow in faith? How do we allow the promises of God to grow in us like a pregnancy? Be impregnated with these promises that grow and grow and grow until the moment comes. Well, firstly, do this. Immerse yourself in God's character. Be convinced of his character. This whole parable in Luke 18 was built on the premise that God is good and that he is just that he hears the prayers of his people. So immerse yourself, be convinced of the character of God. Because if we're not convinced of the character of God, we will be duped by all sorts of voices and things that, that people say about what God is like. Be, immerse yourself in God's character. Secondly, immerse yourself in God's promises. Understand what was accomplished, and we sang about it earlier, what was accomplished through Calvary and be convinced of it. His saving work, his healing, redemptive work, his delivering work let loose through Calvary. Like why did Jesus say the kingdom of God is near if it didn't mean something for our lives? So immerse yourself in God's promises. Thirdly, crucify the flesh of prideful independence. The orphan spirit in you of your old self says that you don't need to depend on the Lord, that you don't need to depend on anyone, that you can do it yourself, you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps and accomplish something just through grit. That's the, that's the, that's the arm of the flesh. Crucify the flesh of prideful independence. And fourth, learn to wait on the Lord in prayer. If our waiting on the Lord doesn't involve any sort of time with the Lord, meaning prayer, then we're missing it. And if you don't know how, just start. I have found something in my walk with the Lord that when I ask the Lord a humble question like a kid, the Lord teaches me. So if you don't know how to wait on the Lord in prayer, ask the Lord. Say, Lord, will you teach me? So the disciples did to Jesus, and what, what did he do? He taught them how to pray, both through demonstration of his lifestyle and by teaching them very, very, very practically. So I would encourage, if you don't know, if you, if you say, you know, I'm not a prayer person, I don't know, how to pray as I ought. Just ask the Lord humbly. There's zero condemnation in this place. Just pray that prayer to the Lord. Say, Lord, will you teach me how to pray? I want, this seems to be the meat and potatoes of following you, so I wanna, I wanna learn your ways. And he's so faithful. So we're gonna be found watching, we're gonna be found waiting. Last, we're gonna be ready. We're gonna be ready. We're gonna be a people ready and I believe that is the Lord's answer 
That's the Lord's answers for this ensuing season of chaos. Actually, uh, just Thursday night, I had a board meeting with our trustees, a phenomenal team of leaders within our church, and the Lord led me to read from 1 Timothy, so his instructions to Timothy. And in this, this letter to Timothy, Paul's description of the church is that the church, the, what he calls the household of God, is the pillar of truth in this world. It's the bulwark of truth in this world. That, that's the, the words of Paul in his instructions to Timothy. So the, the church is not like a, a plan B or kind of a, a backup, a, um, a safety. You know, this is the Lord's plan for redemptive history is the church. For, for the world in the midst of darkness to see a light, like a city on a hill, to be this preservative, like salt of the earth. For people not to be drawn to fancy programs and, and branding, but to be drawn to the presence of God and, the, and the, just the raw, authentic presence of God is going to be magnetic in the times to come, the times of crisis to come. So turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 56. Once, once you're there, just listen to this scripture from 1 Timothy chapter one. Do you have first, do you have first Peter chapter one? Okay, you don't have this one, but listen to this. This is first Peter chapter one. We'll get to Isaiah 56. It says, therefore, prepare, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he has called you to be holy, so be holy in all of your conduct. That is the Lord's will for us. It's that for us, for us to be different than the world, that's what the word holy means, is to be, to be set apart, for us to be holy, that we would have these minds prepared and readied for the Lord, ready for action, ready for what's right in front of us, to serve a world that's going crazy and in, in chaos. So the Lord's will is for us to be a ready church, for us to have our eyes wide open, waiting for his promises, and then ready when the moment comes, when the pop quiz arrives, that we can turn with confidence to the instructor, which is life, and, and have the answer, which is Christ himself. So Isaiah 56 is a passage that we have poured over a lot over the last year because it describes the house of prayer. And it's what Jesus quoted when he flipped the tables in the temple courts. He quoted Isaiah 56 saying, this, this house, my father's house will be a house of prayer for all nations, for all people. And so we've rallied around this passage that we're gonna be ones who minister to the Lord, who love the name of the Lord, who serve in his house, who are uh, live in his gospel rest. But verses nine through 12 also give a picture, and we haven't read these yet together, also give a picture of the reality that not all will be a part of this vibrant remnant, this house of prayer. And we're, 
we're gonna we're gonna read this. So it's really interesting in just preparation for this. Some of this stuff I felt like the Lord had spoken before to our church family. He had he had given us certain warnings in the past. Um, and then I recalled back in 2019, I had devoted, this is just this weekend that I kind of look back at my notes. 2019, we had devoted series after series of, uh, after series of messages to this theme of being found ready. Our fall series of messages in fall of 2019 was being ready in Christ. The Christmas series that year was being ready for Messiah. The spring, so of 2020, the spring uh, sermon series was ready for only God. It was a series on being ready for a God of the miraculous, a God of signs and wonders and miracles. And then what happens? What happens in spring of 2020? All, all chaos ensues. So I'm not saying we were predictive. I'm saying the Lord in his grace and his mercy prepared his people. He warned his people and readied us. And I believe there was a maturity in this house that allowed us to withstand that season of chaos chaos as though nothing was going on. I felt this, this place was a refuge from the chaos out there. This place was like a, this place was like heaven compared to the chaos going on out there. It's like we just continued on with what we were doing, mature in the Lord, dependent on him. And I believe there's something similar coming. I believe there's, there's a pop quiz shaking, testing coming. And there will be many in the church abroad that will be found not ready. And that's the description here in verses nine through 12. first before we do because this is on the screen just go back and read because I, I don't want to take anything for granted the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord that's us we're foreigners because we're not part of um, Jewish Israel we're not part of the original covenant we've been grafted in we're foreigners we've joined ourselves to the Lord to minister to him to love the name of the Lord to be his servants Everyone who keeps Sabbath and does not profane it holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Sounds like heaven to me people who are joy-filled in the house of God, devoted to the Lord's ways, content in him, at rest in the Lord's presence. But look at verse nine. All you beasts of the field, come to devour. All you beasts in the, for in the forest, his watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they're shepherds who have no understanding. They, have no, they, they, they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let, let, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. A complete stupor, inebriation, and foolishness that I believe is descriptive of the day and age in which we live. So I think it's fascinating 
that the Lord has been equipping us with Isaiah 56 and this simplicity of being a house of prayer, of being a people content in the Lord, saying no to the bells and whistles and all the extra fluff and being content in the Lord and Lord preparing us. And at the same time, this, this line being drawn in the sand, I believe, in the world of many who are saying, oh, tomorrow will just be like today. I can put off this sort of urgency. I can put off responding to the Lord. What Paul described as taking the grace of God in vain, filling themselves, their appetite, like being a, a slave to their appetites, loving to sleep and slumber and lie around in apathy. That's, that's the, the line being drawn right now. Those are the, the two camps being drawn in the church. You all stand in this place. This is to covenant people. This is the line being drawn. These are the moments we live. It's an urgency. Let's respond to the Lord. Lord, we want to be found watching, waiting, and ready. So God, would you open our spiritual eyes to see, to see you as the author and the perfecter of our faith, to see you as our Lord of all. God, would you teach us how to wait on you? God, there is not an ounce of fear or paranoia in, in the love of Christ, but there is a true watchfulness and alertness that you're calling us to. To teach us your ways, God. Teach us your ways. Teach us your ways. God, teach us how to depend on your strength. God, we reject and repent of the, the Western way that everything can be manufactured, everything can be built, everything can be replicated through this industrial age mindset. God, no, we say we're, we are completely and utterly dependent on you. You are our everything. You are our distinctive. We are nothing without you. You are our pillar of cloud by day and our pillar of fire at night. You are our everything. You're our daily bread and our living water. God, I pray that you would pour out your grace upon this church family to be found ready to serve, to serve our city, to serve our generation, to serve young people with the purity of the gospel that has all the answers. They won't find elsewhere. God, would you let it be? This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.